0: to AP Lit Alert. This is of me, Savia, and Erica. Today marks our first episode of season five where we'll be analyzing Margaret Atwood's novel The Handmaid's Tale. The dystopian novel was first published in 1985 and has since gained popularity. It even has its own television
1: adaptation on Hulu. Despite the vast amount of positive feedback, The Handmaid's Tale has also received a lot of backlash and has become among the most challenged books in the U.S. due to its, quote-unquote, vulgarity and sexual overtones. Huh, that almost sounds like something someone would say in Gilead. We'll discuss this further along with how Offred's alienation reveals the complex power dynamics and gender roles in Gilead and and the society's hypocrisy regarding feminism.
2: I will be walking us through parts 1 through 7. Xavier will take over with parts 8 through 10, and we will wrap up our analysis with parts 11 through 15 and the historical notes. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode. <laughs> At the beginning of the novel, it is very apparent how rank affects the women of Gilead. Um, The hierarchy is that the commanders and basically all of the men are on top, then the wives, the Marthas, and at the bottom, the handmaids. It's kind of strange that the handmaids are on the bottom when they are the most important to society, really. And that introduces the idea of reverse feminism, where the men think that the women are being protected, but in reality, they are just actually the most oppressed. And one of the most interesting characters at the beginning to me personally is Serena Joy. She is a huge hypocrite. But she still has indoctrinated ideas of Gilead in her head that she still follows. She smokes, even though it is unlawful and very untraditional for Gilead, but she still takes the position of handmaid and wife and husband very seriously and the relationships between them. Perhaps she thinks that she's invincible because she's married to a high-ranking commander and is infertile and cannot mess up her fertility. It is also very clear that she does not like Offred and wishes that she did not have to be in the position that she is in, where she is infertile and has to watch her husband have a child with the handmaid instead of her. And in the beginning of the novel, Offred's isolation is also very clear as she talks about the different scenarios she imagines Luke to be in. This is her trying to maintain hope but doesn't know where to find it. So she tries to keep an open mind with three different versions of him in her head and has hope that one of them, preferably one of the good ones, is true. Uh, Because of her isolation, her mind wanders to truly horrible conditions and the nicer realities that she thinks of. Um, She probably thinks of the nice realities as well as the bad ones, so she doesn't get too excited or get lost in her thoughts and feelings. Because if she spent too much time daydreaming nice thoughts, it would make her distracted and possibly put her in danger it's almost like she's uh, maladapted daydreaming where she thinks of Luke and her family um, in the flashbacks that she has periodically throughout the novel. Um, so my question is, do you guys think that she's a maladapted de- daydreamer, um, especially because maladapted de- daydreaming can come from abuse and trauma, or do you think that it's just her memories?
1: Um, I definitely think that she has some element of like maladaptive, like daydreaming and like behavior because like even like like some of the stuff that she says too, like you will use humor as like a coping mechanism a lot and like I feel like she um the way that like Atwood like constructed the novel to to jump from like time to, to, from time to time and like flashbacks and like flash forwards and stuff is to show like how like unstable her mind is and like it also like makes her like a really unreliable narrator too so yeah I definitely think that some par- some aspect of her is very maladaptive
0: yeah I yeah. I definitely agree um I think the whole um idea of her um uh, narrating be- being so unreliable definitely has to do with that trauma that she's going through um which can be maladaptive daydreaming and if it is it just honestly just makes her more relatable um because she's not like I don't know why I keep thinking of, like, Katniss being Like, Katniss, Katniss, Katniss. Maybe it's because yeah. it's another um, dystopian novel. But, like, I I don't know. I think a lot of the times when authors try to create a story like this with, like, a female main character, a lot of the times she comes off as annoying or, like, complaining. But I think Offred is just very realistic and like, you, like, feel sorry for her because, like, she's, like, slowly becoming, like, as she's, like, adjusting to her new life, she's slowly, like, I don't know, kind of losing it.
1: Yeah. And yeah, she's very straightforward, thing. too. So, I appreciate her straightforwardness. And, like, she's, like, very witty at times, too, which I think makes her less annoying or, like, yeah, make, think, doesn't make her annoying.
2: I think, like, the, her being straightforward is part of the humor. us Mm as in like other novels where there's a woman as a main character sometimes there's like if it's especially if it's written by a woman there's like eternalized misogyny where they write like the main character to be annoying and like complaining and not funny or whatever but um uh atwood writing her as straightforward it makes her witty and more likable than other characters
0: and just like what she went through like it's just like terrible Like, yeah, like, she's thinking about her family the whole time, but it's, like, kind of, like, her grounding technique, you know? It's just, like, you can't even imagine, like, someone going through this and, like, still, like, having the ability to, like, make jokes. Like, I don't know. It's just crazy.
2: Yeah. And also, it's kind of hard to tell if the memories that she's sharing about, like, Luke and Moira and, um, whoever, yeah, Luke and Moira and her daughter, if they're, um, like, just her thinking about them and reminiscing and being nostalgic, like, how we do sometimes, or if she's, like, creating these really long scenarios in her head, but because she's the narrator, we don't really know, like, when she's doing it, how she's doing it. And it's also kind of morbid that she can, like, thinks of Luke in all these situations, like, especially the Mm -hmm. one where there was five scenarios or whatever it was in the beginning, in, like, parts one through seven. Um where she like thinks of him having a brutal death. And I mean I guess it um makes sense because if she thinks of the worst possible possible outcome, then it would make her feel better if that didn't happen. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. I think we can move on to eight through ten now.
1: So um, Erica talked a little bit about the idea of reverse feminism, but it becomes even more clear in parts eight through 10. Uh, in chapter 20, uh, Aunt Lydia shows the women very extreme pornographic films from the past society in attempt to show how much better Gilead is. Atwood wrote on page 118, consider the alternatives said Aunt Lydia. You see what things used to be like. That's what they thought of women. Then showing these films was a way of showing a, er, way of saying to the woman, see, you're worth more than just your body, but all it does is expose the hypocrisy of Gilead, where women are only seen as reproductive machines and political tools. This connects to the idea of freedom from versus freedom to that exists in Gilead. Offred's alienation from men and the outside world keeps her from getting catcalled in the streets or attacked at night. But the strict, controlled environment also deprives Offred of the freedom to do whatever she pleases and have any autonomy over herself or her body. So I think it's very clever of Atwood to have Gilead attempt to solve a woman's plight through patriarchal means. It makes you think about the hypocrisy that exists in our own society. What do you guys think about the idea of feminism that that exists, whether that's in the novel or in the real world?
0: I definitely think the idea of like reverse feminism exists in today's society too. Um like within feminism, obviously like women, um there's there are a lot of women who um are counterproductive, I guess, the idea of feminism. Um I I keep thinking of okay, I hate to talk about Taylor Swift again, but I feel like <laughs> oh I, I feel like I have to bring it up because it just makes sense. So I watched her documentary on Netflix over spring break, and of course you did. She well, she she talks about <laughs> um like the whole Kanye West thing, and how like there's like this huge, mm-hmm. whatever you we we on the like the huge controversies like all over the the news and stuff when he made that song about her, and so they showed it in the yeah. a documentary a about her. Yeah, he said like he called her a uh, um a word I can't say in the podcast because oh, for, okay. it's for go fools. for it just say it i don't, I don't just want say it. to because it's so degrading <laughs> and well in C the sense, okay. well no the b word but he oh, okay. said that he like made oh. her famous and he like I, oh he yeah, like yeah. degraded her in the way that he talked about her and um they showed a clip in the documentary they showed a clip of like the women on the view the, like the talk show the view talking about her and how like she like everything that she does is for like attention and like she should, like, oh keep God. her mouth shut. And I was like, this is, like, this has to be a joke. And then I, like, looked it up and it was, like, real. Like, they actually said that about her on wow. the show. In- internalized misogyny. Exactly. Exactly. And it was just, like, like disgusting. How can other women, like, say that about women? Like, like she wasn't even, yeah. like, wrong in the situation or anything. Like, she was being, that- like, name-called by, like, a man who's, like, 10, 20 years
2: older than her weird. Yeah, that's like the I mean even um, if you see
1: <laughs> Go ahead. Erica. I
2: was gonna say that's like the um trainers or whatever they call it at the the Red Center where they're just like they were um indoctrinated with like the Gilead um uh like ideas. So then they have mm-hmm. internalized misogyny and they probably had internalized misogyny before because I mean society has always been misogynistic towards women and it's still misogynistic towards women to the point like it's so sad to the point where women like are misogynistic towards themselves and their friends and like people they don't even know yeah because of society yeah even
1: like when we like i mean even if you see like go ahead go ahead (laughs) (laughs) oh i was i was just i was gonna say that like even if you see like women like women are so um they're so looked down upon if you like date like like with taylor swift like dating multiple men or Mm -hmm. like being with more than one person and it's so looked down upon and like they're called all kinds of like slurs and like um like rude words and but like if a man does that like it's okay like they're patted on the back like oh it's just the difference with the way um women and men are treated by their own like group is just is really sad
0: alexa can you play the man by taylor swift that's please something literally... you don't actually have an alexa <laughs> no i don't <laughs> okay, good no but that's literally what that song is about um i was gonna I add could... to that like um oh shoot what was i gonna say oh right with the um people in the red room um i think that um that's like um parallelism between like today's like older generation and like with like yeah. the um ants and like the people who train them because like even like like our grandparents and our like great grandparents and even our parents like have like different views about like like progressive ideas than like we do.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can see that. It what definitely with like dress codes at school still about how girls can't even wear um, tank yeah. tops or short shorts, but then the guys can. Um, like be shirtless at football practice but girls can't wear the spandex mm-hmm. at volleyball practice. Yeah. And like there's no reason yeah. it hasn't been been changed just besides the fact that it's the older people
1: mm-hmm. um like in the administration I'm- stuff that decided it. The whole preface of like handmaids, like like the actual like the society is just like women because of men's actions, women need to be impre- yep. oppressed. So like they need yes. to be oh my God. hidden away. They need to be like they need to be strictly controlled because men can't control themselves boys and will be men boys. can't like yeah ex- oh I hate oh that God. saying hate that saying
0: or even like oh like we're, we're yeah. all about to like go to college right and so like we're like getting the talks mm-hmm. about like how to stay safe on campus and like yeah like everybody mm-hmm. tells us don't go don't go out at night don't walk by yourself and it's like it's just like mm-hmm. sad like how like why do we have to worry about this kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, like, I remember yeah. when I, um, like, when I toured NYU, um, they had, like, they talked, they made it a point to talk about all the safety systems. I mean, obviously, it's, like, New York City, and NYU doesn't really have a official campus, but they still had to talk about it and stuff, because you, like, can't trust
1: anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, another part in uh, parts eight through 10 also explored more of the relationship between the commander and Offred. So the infamous scrabble scene is in this part. The power dynamic between the commander and Offred is very interesting. It's absolute on the surface as shown by his rank, but he also enjoys watching her rebel. And with every secret interaction, Offred puts herself more and more in danger while the commander will go unscathed. Uh, however, digging a little deeper, we can see that Offred realizes that the commander feels guilty about the danger that Offred is putting herself in by visiting him. She realizes that he doesn't want her to leave. The commander wants Offred to have like a bearable life, and he sees her comfort as a valida- validation that what he's doing in Gilead is right, and like that the end justifies the mean. So the power dynamic becomes slightly more complex as Offred, Offred realizes that she can take advantage of the commander's guilt. She says on page 188, things have changed. I have something on him now. What I have on him is the possibility of my own death. What I have on him is guilt at last. So both Offred and the commander are manipulating each other and that's shown through the flirtatious and push and pull nature of uh, the Scrabble game and their interactions. Her alienation, as well as the woman's alienation from men, is what makes this power dynamic so impa- apparent. It exposes the gender equality imbalance in Gilead while also bringing out uh, rebellion, manipulation, and reckless desire. <laughs>
0: So throughout this discussion, we've talked about reverse feminism and um, the power dynamic that occurs in the society of Gilead. Um, So now um, to conclude, I just wanna talk about uh, these same ideas that happened towards the end of the novel. And so throughout the entire novel as a whole, we get to hear about the Gilead period through the lens of Offred, who is directly impacted by it, her first person narrative of the story alienated her in terms of allowing readers to understand what was going on. As I mentioned before, um, this was similar to other dystopian novels like The Hunger Games. Similarly to The Handmaid's Tale, The Hunger Games depicts and singles out the narrator, Katniss Everdeen, since we also learn the story of Penem through her point of view. But um, in this story, rebellion is an important theme that helps um, alienate the main character. Who's trying to blend into an oppressive society through secret acts of rebellion. Her snarky comedic remarks about this terrible situation that she's in adds to that sense of alienation. And her perspective revealed that the hypocrisy um, that Gilead ideologies have, um, specifically the things told to her and other handmaids by people like Aunt Lydia, the commanders and the wives, showed how they all truly believed that what they were doing to her and other handmaids was right. For example, on page 220, um, when her and the commander are together, he talks about how he's baffled by the idea of love. Um, He truly believes that the handmaids are protected and that their previous grievances were solved by Gilead's policies. Um, Another example of this is that um, other women that are in power, such as the aunts and wives, we're um, putting the handmaids down through um, ideas like, through things like systemic rape, and we're okay with their bodily autonomy being taken away from them. Um, that's, of course, like a very backward and perverted sense of freedom or feminism. Plus, in Gilead in general, women are just seen for the purpose of having children, which not only alienates them from men, but from other high ranking women who are infertile. And then um, obviously this points out how Offred is alienated through her fertility. Um, Offred's alienation highlights the ignorance of men in power, (laughs) like the commander, specifically towards the end of the novel. As they continue to develop a relationship, he reveals his true colors and honestly his ignorance. Um, And misogynistic men in general always need to come up, like always come up with the same idea for justification for misogynistic policies. And so in Gilead, we hear from the commander and um, other supporters that women are better off in Gilead than they were before and that they need a man to protect them. Um, an example of this is in part two where Alfred and the commander first begin um, their secret meetings. And he tells her that he truly believed that she could be happy as a handmaid because it's safer. Like I said before, um, in chapter 34, he says, Uh, Money was the only measure of worth for everyone. They got no respect as mothers. And this um, rhetoric just makes no sense. It's very flawed. And technically, this idea of monetary value and money applies to everyone in society, not just women and mothers. Um, It has nothing to do with taking women's rights away and everything to do with economic problems. Plus, Aunt Lydia justifies um, this lifestyle the same way when they were being trained. And so this in general just highlights um the flawed um the flawed rhetoric that they use to justify their actions. So do you guys have any, any other examples from the novel or any other points to add about this?
2: Um Yeah, I think what you said about um like the flawed rhetoric and the money thing and how you said it's economic, um like it hits the point about how like capitalism and the economy causes like lots of problems in like the US and probably in um, Gilead too but like uh, people don't realize it because they think it's like a different issue so that's what like it reminded me of yeah when we said that yeah I, I just
0: one. agree yeah yeah okay so um moving on to the historical notes um I don't really have much to say about. The historical notes that's different other than they just reveal how um, the story of gilead um, how there's parallels to the story of gilead and to modern society as depicted by atwood um although um it could be argued that hand the handmaid's tale as a novel is very dramaticized and seems unrealistic it still applies to modern society in a more subtle way um people aren't ready for real progressive change period when it comes to women's Mm -hmm. rights and so we're still fighting for like bodily autonomy like abortion rights in this country in 2021 and this novel was written in the 80s so it's it's just crazy that um atwood depicts this um just like spot on in the historical notes through like um the uh, the professor's dismissive tone and then even that little sexist joke that he makes that everyone just laughs off so i think this just relates to today's society pretty well
1: i think um when i think this was during the discussion when we were discussing this particular part of it and somebody said history is written by the victors and i just thought that was just like a perfect way to encompass like the historical notes because that just rings so true in the case that like society the society after the gilead rule is still patriarchal and they're saying like learning from the past but they're ignoring everything that they just learned so it just really makes you think about like the real world and how much of like the past the present and the future is from a man's perspective
0: and like honestly if you like think about it like uh, think about like history being written by the victors like technically like this whole story is like a piece of like historical like it's a historical like thing so what if mm-hmm. like this was like rewritten by like men like do you like this like I don't know like domino effect kind of thing what if this was like the I mean, retelling no, what's and we're possible? just like hearing like a really mild version of this
2: that's you know? totally possible yeah that's definitely possible
1: I think that women aren't taken seriously like um, like in like a academic or like professional setting either so like obviously like even you, we saw with this professor that he basically discredited um, everything that like was written by In the Handmaid's Tale so I feel like even for her time Atwood too was probably discredited a lot even though oh, she yeah. was hitting on real and like important topics
2: imagine how like yeah. it's like Oh sorry, go ahead, Erica. I was gonna say it's um they they think the the people in the historical notes they think that their society is like so far progressed mm-hmm. that they can talk about Gilead like it was so long ago. And how people talk about um slavery and racism like it was so long ago, but it really wasn't. And they mm-hmm. think that their society is so much better when in reality it isn't. And then they make all of these um sexist jokes and discredit it, like how now um men when like sexist men discredit um women when they talk about like their trauma or um sexual harassment assault and they're like oh it's not that bad or that didn't happen or there's no proof it was just so like victim blame yeah yeah victim blaming a lot
0: it was just so jarring to like read this like crazy story and then like just like read the historical notes and you're like wait what like how can you just like i don't know like put this off so easily yeah so have you guys watched the show the Handmaid's Tale show I haven't seen it I
2: watched I watched like two episodes and then um there wasn't a lot of like dialogue and stuff Mm -hmm. so I got I didn't get bored but I um multitask a lot when I watch TV so I always have I feel like I always have to do something else when I watch TV so I I wasn't watching that I was re-watching like Marvel movies (laughs) instead yeah (laughs) it's pretty interesting to see like the similarities and
0: then like the differences um from the book and the show um the show actually does a really good job at like highlighting these same issues too but when you get to like see mm-hmm. it it's just like wow yeah it's definitely more dramatic yeah. and like jarring Impactful. and
2: traumatizing mm-hmm. especially the um I when I saw the persecution, it was so like yeah. It was like wow. I, things don't really disturb. Things don't really disturb me when I watch like TV shows and stuff. I mean, I love horror movies and those are never bad. Like I literally saw um see like all these gory movies and stuff, and then the persecution just made me so like uncomfortable, yeah. and it was just so disturbing. In,
0: like the show, like especially, it really made it feel like they were like, like Aunt Lydia was like exploiting like their vulnerability and their anger towards Gilead and then having them channel it into like murdering someone
2: it was so weird yeah it did a really good job showing yeah. that
0: because that was like it. the whole
2: point of the partic the participation was like taking their anger and using it instead of um, using it on the quote-unquote people that are like breaking the law instead of using their anger to um like have an uprising or something yeah and that definitely relates to Hunger Games mm-hmm. too, because yeah. they didn't have an outlet for their anger in the Hunger Games, so they channeled it all into rebellion. Mm-hmm. At least they're not like racist, because they're they're all white. Yeah, no, there was like <laughs> well, and they never specified race, like in the book. Exactly, I think that was intentional.
0: I think that was the point, because well, I mean. This oh, this is us kind of starting prevalent a conversation like, before. Well, okay, but it's like prevalent with the shootings that happen in Atlanta. Like, people never talk about race and gender together. They either talked about yeah. it's a women's problem, like women were targeted, or like Asians are targeted. It's very true. But it's but both.
2: They go you have like to hand, talk about both. They go hand in hand, like exactly. intersectionality. Exactly.
1: I believe that brings us to the conclusion of the episode. Today, we covered how Offred's alienation throughout the novel exposed the hypocrisy of Gilead's morals. In part one, Erica covered how this is influenced by rank and how high-ranking officials such as Serena Joy follow and break these rules. In part two, Xavier covered reverse
2: feminism, which occurred during the training of the handmaids and was further developed through the power dynamic between Offred and the commander. In part three, Avni covered how Alfred's first person narration exposes the hypocrisy of the patriarchy in Galeed and in modern society. Thanks for tuning into this
0: episode. Join us next time for an in depth discussion in which we analyze how Taylor Swift is the modern day Margaret Atwood.
1: Wouldn't be a P Littleert if we didn't mess up a few times while recording this episode. As a thank you for your continued support, here are a few bloopers for you to enjoy. Can you hear my stomach growling through the mic? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> because I that's that's what I was worried about, about for the last check. that's what I've been worried about for the last like 13 minutes, basically. In part three, Agni covered how
2: Alfred's first-person narration exposes the oh my gosh I'm
0: so sorry hypocrisy
2: no don't spell no don't spell it phonetically
0: Stop. Stop. <laughs> <Racy>. <laughs> Stop.
2: I know how to say hypocrisy. Can you leave me alone?
0: Hypocrisy, Chrissy.
2: That's what this is- <laughs> now. This is starting my reputation era. You want me to be a villain? <laughs> Ugh. What is it like? No, my best friend got a new my
0: boyfriend. Best She's by like, oh my god! She's like, oh my god! Oh my god! I'm just gonna shake it with
1: the fella, fella over there. I look good in her. Come on, shake, 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 shake. <laughs> Oh yeah! <laughs> I don't know how I <laughs>